And now, Manufacturing Matters with your host, Cliff Waldman. Good day, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Manufacturing Matters. I'm Cliff Waldman. I'm the host for this show, one of many on Manufacturing Talk Radio. This is the show where we look at manufacturing through both a telescope and a microscope. Yes, we certainly look at the big headlines of the day, economic and political. There are many of them these days, and they matter a great deal to U.S. manufacturing performance. But in a time of evolutionary and revolutionary change, we have to go deeper. We have to look at the science, the, the very form of manufacturing. It's changing by the week. We have to look at the geopolitics that affect trade and therefore manufacturing. That's changing by the day. So therefore, the key word on my show is new, new technology, new science, new trade, new geopolitics, new economic thinking, and we are here to help our audience understand how that will lead to a new day in U.S. manufacturing. As one of many things that I am doing to bring you the very top guests, the very best experts in their field, I look at the research journals. Now, I understand this is an academic world, but there is, are often wonderful papers whose insights will matter a great deal to the business and the politics and the policy of manufacturing. There has recently been a paper published called, Do Enterprise Zones Have a Role to Play in Delivering a Place-Based Industrial Strategy? In other words, what does, and the question I'm going to ask our distinguished guests today what is the role of manufacturing in local economic development? We know how local challenges have motivated different politics these days. So this has both economics and political challenges. The two authors of uh, the journal article are with me today, and I think it's going to be a very exciting interview. Dr. Christopher Hooten is an economist and policy expert specializing in economic development, spatial analysis, and evaluation. He currently serves as a senior scholar at the George Washington University Institute of Public Policy and as the chief economist of the fairly new Internet Association. Dr. Hooten has previously served as a consultant to the World Bank, the Inter-American Development Bank, as well as other leading organizations, and he formerly served as a lecturer at the Social Science Methods research methods at the University of Cambridge. Born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri, Dr. Hooten holds degrees from the University of Miami, the London School of Economics, and he has his doctorate from the University of Cambridge. And Chris, if I'm not mistaken, you're the author of a few novels. Isn't that correct? Uh, yes, that's correct. Well, one novel, one travel memoir. <laughs> Peter Tyler is a professor in urban and regional economics in the Department of Land Economy at the University of Cambridge, and he has an extensive track record in undertaking research with a particular emphasis on urban and regional economics and industrial policy. He's been a project director for over 70 major research projects for government, many of them involving the assessment of public policy resulting in the publication of 40 research monographs, of which 24 have been a book length. Besides his work in the United Kingdom for HM government, he has also undertaken research 
for the European Commission, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development on, on Urban, Regional, and Industrial and Evaluation Policy. He has been an expert advisor to the OECD, to the European Commission, and the HM government, including his service on the National Evaluation Policy for what is known as Sure Start. This is an HM government in- initiative for children under the age of five. He was a program leader for the Cambridge MIT Initiative and is a policy fellow at the Cambridge Center for Science and Policy. During 2016, he was an expert advisor to UN Habitat 3. Two globally known guests, gentlemen, to both of you, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Peter, let me let me start with you. You've had a, a full career in thinking about local development issues and the many complexities of local development issues. But for our listening audience, I want to start with just being clear on some, some basic concepts. So I'm going to ask you to explain the meaning of the term enterprise zone. I, I've heard it in both technical and vernacular contexts. But is there a singular correct definition of what an enterprise zone is? Well, Cliff, I, I, mean, I think one of the first things to say is that um, over many years now, the, the actual um, concept itself has um, changed uh, fairly significantly. It, it's retained some core principles or key features. Uh, and in our research paper, we actually um, refer to those. Um, but the, the original idea came in, in, in the early 1980s or late 1970s, actually, from the great um, economic geographer Peter Hall, who actually advocated that in areas that were in severe economic decline, it would be important to have a specific place-based focus that um, um, sought to um, enable um, new economic activity to be attracted in, into those areas. And the idea really was to create enterprise and um, that would be created by bringing about various changes to existing um, legislation in the area, particularly planning legislation, but also, as it turned out in the UK, because it was in the early 80s that I think the first zones began, really, in the United Kingdom, um, it also those areas also attracted um, incentives to bring new, new investment into those areas. So there isn't one single definition, but I think throughout there's always been this idea that you focus tightly, uh, fairly tightly on a particular geography and you um, seek to encourage and uh, put in place the, uh, the features that will bring in new investment to those locations. Well, let me pick up on the concept of decline, Peter. When localities and let's let's focus on the advanced economies. When localities and advanced economies decline, it it may be an oversimplified question, but is there generally a common thread to the downward dynamic? Is is the story generally recognizable? Yeah, I, I, I think if you do tend to see some common features, I mean, one of the, the factors that becomes quite clear is that the area, um, because of the legacy of its past, which is as often in the UK, for instance, in parts of America, been an industrial legacy, um, basically the, the infrastructure and the land use pattern uh, and the premises are, are, are not likely to be uh, able to attract new investment. So um, there needs to be... Uh, uh, 
a, a mechanism to try and speed up the workings of a, of a new investment in the area uh, and to, uh, in a way, overcome market failures and issues that are making the market not stall or stall or not work efficiently. Chris, your paper, you know, you, you reviewed the literature thoroughly, but then you and Peter went on to do a lot of very innovative, very interesting statistical work. Um, for the benefit of our audience who wants sort of a grounding in this, could you please give us a sort of, you know, a review of the basic findings of your paper? And specifically, what have you found that enterprise zones do for declining localities? Mm-hmm, of course. It, we had kind of an advantage of being able to look back on previous research and then draw lessons to help guide the additional analysis that we did in the paper, which is not always something you always get the opportunity to do. Enterprise zones have been pretty well studied over the last 20 years, 30 years or so, uh, not entirely, not in their, you know, every aspect. And so what we wanted to do was first get a, a good overarching assessment of the evidence up to now on whether or not zones work, uh, and then essentially kind of fill in any holes that we found in the existing evidence base and then lead that into a discussion of kind of a, a path forward on future iterations of zone policy. And so the, the main findings that we found uh, from the analysis were really that zones do work. It's, it's a contested issue, even in academic literature, whether or not they're effective. It's certainly not guaranteed that an enterprise zone is going to regenerate an area. And also that the effects we think, we think it reasonable to think that it's going to be a marginal effect. So maybe an additional one to 5% of growth on any particular metric like employment or, or number of businesses in an area. Uh, a flip side of that is also, it could also be just slow decline. So it's not necessarily that a zone is going to uh, cause an area to become vibrant once again, uh, but they do seem to be on the whole effective, but particularly when done in a strategic manner. Um, part of the kind of strategic element to it is that you have to consider the local area in particular and, and not see these necessarily as a panacea for solving an entire urban area's uh, development issues. They seem to be more related to uh, the local neighborhood and community and those conditions than to the city overall. And there's a couple of cases where we saw uh, saw particular enterprise zones, what we, what we call swimming against the current, which is kind of a, a term that we made up for, but uh, where a zone might be, uh, a zone area might be growing, whereas the city itself is in broader decline. And, and then I think the last thing, and it's less to do particularly on the specific findings, but from the analysis and both the assessment of existing literature and the new analysis, I think that we, we see them as really uh, zones need to be understood as part of a longer-term restructuring tool and not just something that you look at for short-term uh, uh, impacts. Um, you know, they're, they're, we would think that they, uh, or would argue that they're probably best used as a longer-term strategic tool and part of a comprehensive plan as opposed to just a uh, standalone thing for a short, uh, short remedy. You know, earlier in my career, I worked for a, um, a state government, and, and with local development investment, Chris, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, there's often a concern about capital pirating from surrounding localities. And, and I, I think you reference this 
in your paper. Can you can you give us your thoughts on whether capital, when you're dealing with localities, that capital, that pirating of capital or other kinds of resources from surrounding localities perhaps becomes an issue? It's certainly a concern with with enterprise zones or other similar programs, right? So if you're saying in a, a fairly defined geographic area that you're going to uh, either restructure local policies, zoning requirements, tax um, requirements, things like those, right? So if you're going to restructure those, alleviate some, or, or make them more flexible for a particular area, it may be more attractive for a, a group that's already in the broader locality and they just move into your area, or potentially pirating from a nearby geographic area or city that's not in the that targeted city, but that comes over as a result of it. And th there's two scales to that. One is within city um, displacement or, or pirating. And then the, the second is uh, with uh, across cities, right? Or across municipalities. What we do with our particular analysis is we, uh, we try to kind of systematically control for those types of effects. And we do that through the use of geographic counterfactuals is the term, but we, we look, we do a few different techniques, but basically we evaluate these policies, taking into context what is happening in the surrounding areas. And that might be literally uh, down to a few streets by few streets, because we use census tracts for the US case studies that we look at. Uh, but then in addition to that, we also looked at three broader case studies that controlled for uh, kind of macro trends within each of those cities. So we had one that had been declining for 20 years continuously. That was uh, the city of Detroit. Uh, one that was in decline for 10 years and then growing for 10 years. Uh, that was uh, Washington, D.C. or the District of Columbia. And then one that was growing consistently for 20 years. That was Miami. And, and so we tackle it in a couple of different ways. Uh, overall, though, I think it gets back to one of the other points that we made before, that with these with zones and with other similar programs, you want to think of them in terms of long-term um, restructuring and the long-term nature of, of what they can do, as opposed to purely uh, immediate impacts. Peter, I want to bring manufacturing into the picture here. Some research, and, and a fair bit of it done in the D.C. research community, has shown that manufacturing can play a role in local development because of its, its innovation capacity, its supply chain strength, and its, its global reach. What is your current thinking, Peter, on the role of manufacturing in enterprise zone architecture? Well, Cliff, like many, uh, considering many different sectors, um, sectors have different attributes and different advantages that can play very helpfully to uh, local economic development. Um, so although there isn't as much manufacturing um, investment around as there would have been many years ago, um, they can, it can play a very important role in terms of providing quality jobs in local areas. Um, and one, one, one would argue very strongly that some proportion of manufacturing investment um, is highly desirable on an enterprise zones. Um, it, it tends to respond to the uh, need for um, well laid out premises and good uh, facilities, which the enterprise zone policy, which is of course a property led initiative and land based initiative in many ways, um, can facilitate. So in that sense, um, encouraging and uh, helping manufacturing investment to uh, thrive in particular local areas 
um, is, is very much advantaged, I think, through using enterprise zones uh, effectively. Uh, as my colleague Chris said, I mean, one of our findings in the paper is that it's probably wrong to concentrate too much when looking at enterprise zones on the arguments of displacement and the, the moving around of investment, but to see enterprise zones as a very much a longer-term strategic initiative where um, the, the local um, players in an area, the local authorities, the businesses, um, can work together to initiate a longer-term um, industrial policy. So within that context, there's a very strong role for enterprise zones with built on manufacturing. And in the UK, for instance, at the moment, we are seeing it used very effectively to encourage new advanced manufacturing to act as a focal point and, and to see the zone as a coordinating device whereby all of those agencies and, and local stakeholders who have an interest in economic development come together and, and build a combined agenda to build the competitiveness of a particular place. And, and so I, as we argue in the paper, you, one needs to see enterprise zones as this strategic tool, this way of thinking ahead uh, and helping to encourage a strong industrial uh, strategy, which, uh, which manufacturing would be a, a, an ease, a very important component. Let me just quickly add to yeah, that quick, uh, at the kind of core level, enterprise zones are, are kind of agnostic to uh, specific industries. Now, now, they can certainly be designed for a specific industry or sector, such as manufacturing, uh, but, they, but they are useful from that standpoint where uh, they're not intrinsically tied to one thing or another. You can't just do, you're not limited to using zones only for retail, for example. Uh, they can be utilized in a variety of different ways. Huh. You know, that, that's, Chris, that's an interesting segue to the next question that I'm going to ask. And, and I'm, I'm asking the question because I've, I've done a little bit of work in, in the area of clusters myself. And, Chris, in reading the paper that you and, and Peter have published, I found myself thinking about the work of Michael Porter. If our uh, audience does not know, he teaches at the Harvard Business School, a very iconoclastic thinker on, on the border between business and economics. And I I'm, I'm particularly was thinking about the work of, of, that Porter did starting in the 1990s, pretty much, on clusters. And for the benefit of our, our listening audience, clusters are basically groups of firms, suppliers, and other types of organizations, such as quasi-governmental institutions, federally funded research labs, which leverage their geographic proximity to essentially create a competitive regional economic unit and one that, that where more, more investment makes it bigger, makes it stronger. Chris, do, do, help me out. Do easy enterprise zones and clusters bear any functional or at least conceptual relationship to each other? Right. Uh, they're not, I would say they're not intrinsically tied to each other, but they could certainly be complementary. They're the, the two concepts. Uh, so what I mean by they're not intrinsically tied, uh, enterprise zones are not necessarily targeted at only one specific geographic area or community. They can, uh, the geography of enterprise zones can vary quite a bit, right? There's dozens of different programs across the world within the U United States, for example. Uh, there's at least three uh, federal the run programs that we look at just in the paper, and that's in addition to state-run programs or, or city-based programs as well. So the idea that a zone is going to be one place or one continuous place, uh, which is kind of what clusters are going for, that's not inherent. 
that being said, they certainly can be. And we've other researchers have looked at the issue and found that zones, or at least there's some evidence that enterprise zones tend to be more effective when they are a contiguous area. So rather okay. than having um, spotted zones throughout a city landscape, having concentrated areas uh, as those being more effective. And then also there's some evidence that the larger zones get, uh, the less effective they become. Uh, so both of those, I think, would would theoretically support the idea of something like a specialized cluster if you're talking about the idea of concentrating firms of a particular type um, you know, and, and leveraging their geographic proximity uh, to kind of stimulate local regional economic development. It, but with the caveat, again, that the, that the geographies vary quite a bit, so that's not inherent that they're going to be able to, to work together. It sounds like this literature is going to start moving forward in ways that you know we may not anticipate. I mean, there's there's some conceptual melding here that that may generate some some uniquely interesting results down the line. Yeah, I think that's. Well, I would argue that's one of our goals for this paper is to help kind of really systematically bring together the evidence base up to now, looking at everything from where zones have been evaluated in academic literature. So the types of uh, outcomes that have been evaluated uh, to help drive forward, uh, hopefully more effective zone policies going forward, right? Um, it, learning lessons from the past, applying them to the future. We're certainly seeing, uh, and Peter may you know, have different thoughts on this, but I would say that we're certainly seeing a return to industrial strategy, place-based strategy as a policy tool and, and a recognition of them it being a, potentially effective tool depending on the particular priorities and goals of an area. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think I'd add to that, uh, Cliff, that, that really um, it's always going to be important, I think, for policymakers to emphasise a focus on a particular place. And indeed, the uh, academic literature and general thinking is moving back again to see the merits of a place-based focus. The, the, the really useful thing about an enterprise zone is that it puts the spotlight, spotlight onto a particular place and it enables the agencies of government and, and the private sector to work to enhance that place. And therefore, in that sense, it's, um, it's a very usable tool and I, I think it's a mistake to uh, to probably uh, get too involved too much in, in which particular aspect of a zone might be working um, in, in a particular way. But together, the concept and, and its successful application um, can really um, enhance the attractiveness of a place if used well. And in that sense, it's likely to prove very much very popular to government seeking place-based initiatives and, and I think they're back in favour big time now I mean if you look at the uh, literature uh, coming out of major institutes in, in the states and across the world indeed um, people are again emphasising the importance of place-based initiatives um, to, to enhance local economic development and, and to see a, a positive role for them Peter We've been at least implicitly, implicitly thinking about um, the advanced economies, well, you know. But the world is very much focusing on, um, you know, development in Asia, uh, possibly even development in Africa. Let me ask: Do you think that enterprise zones should or will or prove to uh, have a stronger impact in developing economies than in advanced economies? Uh, I, I think we're seeing, um, I mean, I mean the, there's a very large number of enterprise zones 
uh, applied to in different countries, particularly in the Far East and around the world. I, I think we're seeing the use of the um, the policy in various the countries you've mentioned, and the policy again um, is particularly helpful when you're seeking to to concentrate on the, a particular pool of infrastructure assets. Um, it has to be said that you asked me earlier about the the different um, types of enterprise zones. Well, in many countries, they are um, the focus of uh, different ways of attracting inward investment. Um, many many areas in China, many areas uh, around the world are using enterprise zones as a focusing device and offering incentives to bring new investment into those areas that they're focused on. And so I, I, I think the concept is one of those that sort of finds application in both all sorts of countries at different stages of development. But as I think Chris and I have emphasised, it's important to to customise the policy to the local circumstance. And so it's not a one-size-fits-all policy model. It needs to be worked with uh, and applied to the specific state of development uh, in the area concerned and, and the advantages and uh, disadvantages of a particular place. So in that sense, it's, it's proving very usable in many countries of quite di different stages of economic development. My final question for Chris and Peter relates to your outcome variables. And listeners, what I mean by that is that the two gentlemen studied the impact of enterprise zone programs on a number of key variables, ones you would expect, jobs, number of firms, the poverty rate in the area. But there's, and, and you are free to correct me if I'm wrong, but there are two variables that I didn't see make the outcome variable list, and I'm, I'm just curious about them. Chris, uh, let, let's start with the first one, you. I, I didn't see anything about trade in your outcome variable list, the, the export potential of the area. Why wasn't that on the, the list? Right. I, I would say there's basically two reasons for it, and, and that I would agree with you that additional variables like growth and export potential or growth in skilled labor pool, uh, those types of things are, are certainly valuable and insightful. The two reasons why they're really not included in this paper, uh, one, it, we needed to, it, it, we wanted to follow a previous literature and what had been analyzed there. Uh, so, you know, trying to build on the existing evidence base and continue moving it forward. It, it's harder to pull in new variables that have not been looked at by other groups or not looked at as extensively. And, you know, there's additional methodological issues that you then have to address within that. And given the style of the paper, the nature of the paper, assessing existing evidence and then filling in those holes where we could, and then kind of talking about path forward on enterprise zones, it, it didn't necessarily fit into the scope of the article. The, the second reason I would say is that in the analysis that we did, we were really trying to focus on the geographical elements and, and be systematic in terms of our case studies that we looked at, and then also the zones within those, how we controlled for uh, things like displacement, things like um, overall growth versus net growth. Uh, to do that, we needed rather refined geographic data. So uh, we needed popular, we used census tracts, which I mentioned before, and just for reference, that's typically a, a small area between two to 6,000 people in living in that area, it can be as large as basically an entire county in a very rural state, or it could be as small as a single city block in a highly dense city. So you get a, a wide range of geography. Uh, 
typically they tend to be on the very small side. And when you get down to that level of unit, you just don't get as much data as you would like. Right. So you have to kind of use what you get. Peter, anything to add to that? Uh, no, I, I mean, you, it, it's also there are all the right outcome variables that you know, it's possible to look at. And I, I know people are interested in whether or not zones can be used to uh, uh, enhance the local skill base of, of areas. Um, I, I think one of the things to say about zones as they've evolved over four decades now is that they started off very much uh, as ways of bringing new investment into, into the areas concerned to stimulate new economic activity, to act as a catalyst um, over time, they've had different sorts of effects, but the, the main emphasis has nearly always been to, to get new economic activity going. Later on, of course, it's become more um, interesting to try and ask how much they are shaping up in the context of an industrial strategy for a local area, which would include things around the skill base and the sorts of labour pool that you're trying to develop. But as Chris said, our main focus was to think very much about their core role in bringing new economic activity and jobs into areas, though, as you quite rightly say, trade and uh, issues relating to other things like the labour pool are, are very much important. And successful zones, I think, as they evolve and develop, and if they're particularly well thought out in terms of the local context, they begin to seek to attract investment to play to building the export base. They seek to build the, the sort of labour pool in directions that will help local residents. They, they develop in those ways. Chris Houghton and Peter Tyler, you gave us your time. You gave us your expertise. Congratulations on the wonderful publication, and thank you both for joining me today. Thank you very much, Chris. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Listeners, the paper is Do Enterprise Zones Have a Role to Play in Delivering a Place-Based Industrial Strategy? It is in the Cambridge Journal of Regions, Economy, and Society. We will put it on the, uh, on the website for those who would like to go read it. Listeners, we are developing levels for our show. We, have, we are going to continue to look at various industries. We're going to continue to look at regions of the world. And now we're going to look at subnational units because manufacturing plays an important role in that story as well but that's it for today until the next time this is cliff waldman reminding you that manufacturing matters and we'll see you next time This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.